So, Anu, I'm really glad that you could do this. You've got a, uh, a piece which has a lot of different kind of moving parts in it, right? Mm-hmm. So I just wanted us to, to, to flesh out some of the moving parts and how they interact, right? And I, I guess above all, your piece is a, is a critical engagement with the way in which religion is dealt with in IR, yeah? Mm-hmm. And I wondered if you could just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, of course. Um, well, I think um, religion in IR has a kind of a strange uh, situation. Um, one being in the sense that um, after 9-11, everyone was sort of scrambling to talk about the return of religion, um, even though, as I point out in the piece, people like Daniel Philpott were saying, you know, it never really went away. We just sort of started the, the sort of the secular fetish uh, sort of uh, pushed religion or religious ideas um, into a certain kind of uh, compartment. That being said, um, you, if you look at something as basic as the UN Human Rights Act, that's very much a Christianized document, you could argue, right? Um, so um, what this piece tries to do really is to talk about religion, religious voices in the international. Um, one, to, to, to flesh out um, uh, and away from just uh, Abrahamic voices, um, but also to talk about the, um, I think the the anti-imperial, the anti-colonial um, stresses um, that we can see in religious voices, particularly those from uh, the global south of the third world. Um, and one of the reasons that I've been thinking about it is particularly because I've been spending a lot of time with the work um, of uh, third world theologians, particularly Eatwat or the Ecumenical Association of Third World Theologians, um, they themselves would uh, very straightforwardly say that one of their guiding impulses was Bandung, the Bandung Conference. Um, So um, M. Joseph, um, who wrote one of the books about the early years of Eatwat, talks about the fact that um, third world theologians and, and, and third world thinkers through, who think through religious lenses, um, especially in the 60s and the 70s, were affected by the revolutionary consciousness of Bandung. You know, it was a profound influence on theological thinking. Um, and if we are to start thinking about religion and religious voices as a space through which we can think of IR alternatively or perform a decolonial rendering of IR, um, uh, the the voices that I'm hoping to kind of highlight in this piece do that. So so there's so there's a lot in there though, right? So you're yeah. you're connecting religious voices, theory, theology to anti-colonialism or anti-imperialism, right? Um, and and you're basically saying that that provides a a, a perspective. Um, on international relations, rather than us treating religion as a as a kind of variable, mm-hmm. in, you know, for understanding international relations. So you're kind yeah. of saying, what does the world look like? Not simply if we take it from a religious perspective, because you know, as you said, a lot of theories have th- yeah. theology baked into them. But what if we took it from these particular religious perspectives, which are already kind of baked into uh, anti-colonial or anti-imperial movements, right? So then that then leads to, to, the, to the next element of your, of your piece, which is about the, the feminist angle in this, yeah. right? So if we're saying now 
that um, religion is not simply a variable in IR, but actually the way in which people understand IR is um, owes much to theology. And in fact, there are theological traditions which are anti-imperial and anti-colonial. Now, where does the feminist thing come in? Yeah, one one of the the critiques um, made about third world theology also is the fact that that so Virginia Fabea, for example, um, talks about how women's voices were still ex- were still excluded from um, even even from from those anti colonial kind of moments. Um, um, and so, what does that mean? What does that mean for particularly contextualized women's voices? Um, or womanist voices, if you think about the theology coming specifically out of African-American scholars. Um, in particular, what does that mean in terms of grappling with the um, what uh, um, feminist <clears throat> theologians call um, the death-creating structures of the political economy? Um, and what's interesting there is, um, and, I, and I, if you don't mind, I'll, talk, I'll try to quote a little bit, one of the... Uh, uh, texts I, I pull from, um, it's this idea that the perspective in which women's hermeneutics is carried on, um, it's not only about what is good and universal in the struggle for um, democracy, it's also about um, uh, challenging the feudal and sexist distortions in the interpretations of um, larger texts. It's about, um, and this is sort of my favorite quote from the article, um, uh, Hung Kyung, um, it's it's about centering the personal stories of agony and joy and struggle um, and liberation. And I think that's really very much what um, the feminist religious thought I'm trying to highlight does that. The other question also is introducing this kind of strange beast um, into IR, hopefully, is the sense that feminist IR itself um, has a core of secularity to it. And perhaps some may dismiss or only treat as a case study um, women who are religious. Um, whereas asking the question, can you have faith and be a feminist? And what does that mean in our struggles to, to take on the international is another question I'm, I'm hoping to explore as well. Mm, um, do you think that the feminist voices that you're bringing in uh, or the womanist voices that you're bringing in, do you think they challenge feminist IR or do you think they are complementary? I think in many ways they are complementary, but they're also challenging certain kinds of assumptions. In particular, one of the things I would really like to kind of see more work on is shifting away from this idea of a, a case study. Um, so much of the work, um, if, if, I'm, if I'm kind of looking through to doing a literature review at the very basics of it, um, when, I look, when I look for the work on women who are religious within the field of IR, I end up in international development where we're talking about a particular space, or you're looking at peace research and then feminist religious practice, praxis in peace research. Um, so there is this constant kind of compartmentalization without... I think taking seriously um, women's religious thought as political thought itself. The Theory Gatha is a collection of songs or poems. It's the writings of the first Buddhist women. So Gatha is the word for song. Theory is um, the feminine of the thero, the, the monk. Um, uh, a text like the Theory Gatha 
um, which I'm really trying to kind of make uh, in the end my doctoral piece, um, you know, is, is a brilliant text in many ways. It's a feminist political uh, text of women breaking free and writing about the different ways in which they become free and articulating liberation, not just as this one moment, but a series of moments, a series of struggles. And then you think about how do we understand liberation or emancipation through this? Because it's on the one level, there's liberation understood through the prism of that society, through the, through, through the language, um, you know, uh, to, to different languages, um, uh, as well as um, <laughs> my favorite quote from the Derigatha is the nun Anupama, actually, who talks about um, having to, you know, the freedom of cutting off her hair, the freedom of taking off her jewelry, the freedom of leaving her husband, but then asking, am I so free of myself? So there are these other layers as well. So what happens when we bring those into understanding how we talk about liberation in the international in itself? Um, so that's that's kind of another thing, I think, in a way that we could maybe not challenge, but continue to expand feminist dialogue. Right. Great. <laughs> um, no, that's really important. And so how do you see your work um going now? What kind of direction do you think it, it, it's going now? Where am I going with it? Well, I'd like to continue and complete the work on the theory gather, exploring it as um, a text of um, feminist thought, um, in particular looking at what I call the emotional liberation of the theory gather. There's so many different ways in which emotion is key to freedom and struggle. Um, so that's one thing that I'm hoping to, to complete hopefully before the very strange year ends. Um, and the other thing really is um, moving more um, into a kind of decolonial theology. So okay. picking up those strands, um, of course, you know, um, and a lot, of, a lot of the hard work really has been done by indigenous scholars, indigenous theologians um, around the world um, who, who have, um, I mean, really we're standing on the shoulders of, of giants here. So picking up, um, and uh, talking with um, Asian theology, which is kind of my wheelhouse, um, take, talking about that. But because I do have an IR background, trying to bring um, the conversations in IR on decolonization together with the conversations on decolonial theology. So that's kind of another thing that I'm, I'm focusing on in my own tiny little way. <laughs> that's great. Well, thanks so much for talking to us. I know it's really appreciated. Not at all. Thank you very much, Robbie, for letting me um, talk to you and also to the chance to publish with, with IPR. That was really very generous of you. Thank you.